Hey everybody, welcome to On the Lighter Side of Baseball. This is Jamie Rutsky coming to you from Overland Park, Kansas on a dreary May day. It seems more like a dreary February day. And uh, it's May 12th and we are expecting Doug Davis to be calling in shortly. But before Doug calls in, I just wanted to take a few minutes to do something I haven't done in about a month or two. And that is have a podcast without a guest. We have been fortunate to be joined by a number of exciting guests, and tomorrow uh, we'll have John Watson on the show. So that's two guests this week, and I'm looking forward to uh, talking to Doug Davis today. We'll be calling in, and then uh, John Watson tomorrow. In the meantime, Major League Baseball has come up with a proposal to uh, try to salvage half of this year, and uh, the plan does not include me going to any game, and I don't like that. If they're going to play, I want to be there. And if they can't let me there safely, then they can't let the players there safely, and the players shouldn't go. Now, the union is not looking kindly at this initial lob by Major League Baseball. And one of the problems is this is just a preliminary bout before the big battle over the next collective bargaining agreement. And the players have been faced with a proposal that includes a salary cap, a 50-50 sharing of the revenues that will come in exclusively from television, I would gather, and they have expanded the roster in a hope of hooking the union, and uh, they've got about two or three weeks to fight over this, and then they'll end up agreeing on 60-40 or who knows what the players want their entire salary prorated. In other words, if they're making $2 million a year, they play half a year, they get a million bucks. Now, the owners don't want to do that because they're not getting any revenues other than through TV, and so we're going to have a battle. We'll ask Doug about that. We'll uh, talk about Korean baseball. I've been watching a little bit of the Korean baseball. It's incredibly boring. Now, remember, I'm a baseball fanatic, and I'm watching two guys in their home with the monitor telecasting with an ESPN feed, which ESPN paid for, broadcasting the game. And if you listen to my podcast with Eric Nadell, the Hall of Fame voice of the Texas Rangers, he thought that a large portion of this year's broadcasts by him and his crew would be from a studio and not the ballpark because they do not plan to go on the road, or at least that's one of the plans. Now, as you know, anybody over 60 is in the uh, zone of elderly, and that would include a number of managers, a number of coaches, a number of umpires, some trainers, some ball boys, you, you name it, like the Giants. Their ball boy is probably 75 years old. And uh, so there's some problems there, not to mention hotels, airplanes, buses, cabs, you name it. And until they have a vaccine, I think it's improper for baseball to start up. The players are nothing but guinea pigs, and I think I have the minority position. Most people go, I'm really bored, I really want something to watch on TV, and there's nothing better to watch than, you know, uh, Major League Baseball on TV with no crowds. Now, the Korean version is incredibly boring, and um, they have cheerleaders with no fans. 
they have fake fans in some of the ballparks. They put like cardboard cutouts of fans in the outfield seats. And uh, I, for one, uh, as a season ticket holder in two venues, would be happy if they canceled the whole year in hopes that a vaccine would be around next next year. But I think we're going to have baseball in some fashion, and uh, you know that'll give us something to talk about besides just whatever we've been talking about for the last three months. We have done probably 25 episodes. We've had Jason Grimsley talking about his involvement with steroids and other things. He was a great interview. We've had Dwayne Stats, who should be in the Hall of Fame as a uh, voice of the Tampa Bay Rays on television, and uh, we've done two podcasts with Dwayne, and he's spectacular, and those have gone great. We're about to do our second one with John Wathan, who's just a spectacular podcaster, and uh, we've done six or seven with Craig Kishan, the voice of the Milwaukee Bucks and the Milwaukee Brewers. He's spectacular. We have uh, the podcast with Eric Nadell, the voice of the Rangers, which I alluded to before. We talked with Bobby Dernier, uh, the famous center fielder for the Chicago Cubs and the Philadelphia Phillies. And uh, we continue to try to bring you some uh, quality listening. We had Manny Sanchez, who is the uh, uh, chairperson of the Illinois Sports Facilities Authority and also a... Uh, local attorney in Chicago, uh, also a great promoter because that show has had more listeners than any other show, may have even doubled the amount of listeners as we approach a thousand. Manny's uh, out there uh, doing the good work, getting this uh, podcast around. We had a, a Dave Nelson week to remember Nellie, and we always remember Nellie, but we had friends of Dave Nelson, including Jeff Newman. Uh, former major leaguer and a coach with the Indians and a coach with Mike Hargrove, wherever Mike Hargrove seemed to go. New, new, great guy. We had Greg Meyer, an NFL official. We had Greg Murphy. We had Greg Harris. We had anybody else named Greg. We had my buddy Dave Stone. We had my son Brad Uretsky. We are cranking out the podcast, and uh, again, we're not stopping any time in the in the near future, I'm trying to get a hold of a couple guys that I represented in the uh, uh, early days with the Chicago White Sox minor league system. Uh, we're going to try to get them. And then uh, some people uh, make suggestions on other people to uh, have a podcast. So I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, we will, I'm sure, by July, by the All-Star break, which would have been the All-Star break, have uh, some baseball to talk about. And even with an 80-game schedule, There'll still be games that uh, will mean something, I suppose, and it's going to be pumped in noise so that it doesn't sound too ridiculous, and uh, we'll get going. So I expect that to happen in July. I expect spring training to start up again in uh, June, and uh, then we'll go from there. We'll see how many people get hurt, how many people get exposed to uh, coronavirus. Hopefully nobody um, I think that's uh, sticking your head the sand ostrich approach, but I could be wrong. I am not an epidemiologist. I am not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I'm not an assistant nurse. I am a retired lawyer who loves baseball. So we're doing a little bit on the Negro League Museums. I'm continuing to try to get Bob Kendrick to uh, uh, return a call, and maybe if he returns a call, I can talk him into a few minutes on the podcast. I think I will. He's a good guy. Um, and uh, we'll see who else we can get. But in the meantime, uh, this is pretty much the wrap on segment one. 
segment number two will feature none other than Doug Davis, and we were supposed to have Doug on yesterday, but as is the case with a lot of people, when they have a choice between showing up for the podcast and visiting their local dump, Doug took the dump approach, and I can't blame him. I think it's funny. There's no hurry. He's coming back today unless he has another dump run. We don't think another dump run is in order. His buddy Greg Harris is going to be on. Uh, Greg uh, was also on with Scotty Air. came up with a squirrel story. He apparently has a, a Doug Davis squirrel story. I think Harris just specializes in squirrel stories. Uh, in addition to being a good lawyer, a great entrepreneurial, charitable guy, he um, he sells everything from paintings of Jews in baseball to now Jews and musicians and uh, Jews everywhere. I mean, he is really trying to promote the uh, culture of the Jews as they uh, have engaged not only in baseball but in the history of music. We also note that uh, Greg's relatives are selling uh, COVID-19 masks, so if anybody wants a plug, we can, uh, we can get you some masks at cost. I'm sure Greg would agree with that. So in the meantime, that is, uh, that's what's going on. I think most of the news in baseball is about what the major league's going to propose to the Players Association, and uh, then they'll fight back and forth and then play ball July 4th, which I think everybody but me will be excited about. I did have scheduled at Wrigley Field as a season ticket holder. I got to participate or planned to participate in batting practice. Yes, not exactly what you'd think. I wasn't going to be facing Hendrick or Lester or anybody but a pitching machine, and it wasn't probably on the beautiful infield. It was probably in the outfield, and uh, for all I know, it would have been in the uh, batting tunnel. But my batting practice experience that I was so looking forward to that I had worked out three days for to get in shape uh, has to be put on hold, but I'm sure it'll come back soon as possible. I suggested that this was a perfect time for my batting practice experience because there wouldn't be anybody else at Wrigley Field. How can you socially distance any more than that? But uh, I was not as persuasive as perhaps I wanted to be, and I'm going to have to wait a little longer for that. But that's okay. I'm a patient person, and I'm patiently waiting for Doug and uh uh, my good friend Greg Harris to get on the hook. In the meantime, Greg Murphy, another friend of Dave Nelson's and contributor to the show, uh, has been doing research about Nelly, trying to support the fact that he got a left-handed hit in his first hit in the major leagues. I suggested maybe he also throws ambidextrously. We don't know, but Greg is uh, trying to get into his bank, which is close to the coronavirus um, situation, but when he gets that uh, research done. He's coming back on the show. He uh, had sent a uh, Rogers Hornsby autographed picture that he apparently got out of his vault. He has uh, lots of things in that vault that pertain to baseball, and I'm looking forward to talking to him about that. Also, I want to do an episode on trading cards and uh, back to memorabilia. We'll do that in the very near future and uh, the Negro League. So, uh, while we wait for Doug Davis and Greg Harris, this is Jamie Rutsky on the Lighter Side of Baseball, where you can hear this on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and my um, Facebook page. Yeah, if you go to, even I can figure this out, 
if you go to the Facebook page, you can link into On the Lighter Side of Baseball. And if you go to Google On the Lighter Side of Baseball, you can uh, get to uh, the podcast. Amazing progress. I don't know how it all works, but uh, luckily I don't have to know how it works. So, again, this is uh, the conclusion of segment one, and we will be back in a few minutes with Doug Davis, formerly Major League pitcher and uh, now rancher and uh, father of four. So, take a break. I'll take a break. I'll get a glass of water, a cough drop or something, and uh, we'll go from there. Hey, everybody. This is Jamie Ritzke on the lighter side of baseball. And today, not only do we have the guy that won't leave the show, Greg Harris, the guy comes <laughs> back like chicken pox. And, yes, I had chicken pox twice. We have a former major leaguer, 13 years, good friend. I met him when he was farting in my rental car back in St. Croix. Doug Davis, how are you doing? Doug? How are you doing? I'm doing good. And since it he, wasn't me, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> it how, was long, how long did it take you to do that intro, to practice that intro? Oh, at least two seconds. But uh, luckily, we're not regulated by anybody, and very few people listen. So you can say pretty much what you want, but. I try to keep it as clean as Harris can keep it. But uh, how are you doing, man? I'm doing Doug, well. not you, Greg. <laughs> I'm doing well. And yourself? Uh, so far, it's a 70th birthday, man. I feel like I'm 110. When I, the, the problem with the Zoom is there's a picture of me. It's like, who is that guy? You guys look pretty good. I hate to say that in front of Harris. Why don't you interview yourself? You'll, you'll lose a lot of listeners fast. You know, that I usually do that. And, uh, you know, I could have Babe Ruth on, and I'd be telling Babe how I could hit a curveball. So, anyway, you are in Bend, Oregon, after retiring from an illustrious career with a number of teams, including two of my favorite, the Brewers and the Cubs. How's retired life? Uh, it's treating me well. I like it. I got three kids that I'm raising, helping raise, and uh, now helping raise even more since the, the virus is going around, so they're home all the time, and I love them to death. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we don't have to be proper. We're like, they're assholes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you, can, you can say that. We got a 30-minute tour of your fine estate in Bend, Oregon, before we went on the, uh, the so-called air, and it's, uh, it's beautiful property, and Harris, who lives now in Scottsdale's, he couldn't believe you actually had green grass. Very who? nice. Harris? Harris no. nothing but well, great. You know, yeah, Harris, Doug, Harris has got it too, but he doesn't have to water it or nothing. No, I got know? the fake stuff. But, you know, Doug lived out here in Arizona 10 minutes from where I'm at right now. And, and uh, his place now is just a total different world. Why did you move out there anyway? Why would you leave beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona? Uh, well, for one, it's green here. Uh, for two, <clears throat> good place to raise a family, good schools in, in central Oregon, good schools. Um, and we got four seasons. That's I love it. You know, and that's kind of something I was missing in Arizona when I was single. And, you know, before I met Chantel and all that kind of stuff out in Scottsdale was great, you know, but it's a lot, of, a lot of trouble out in Scottsdale. And, and, uh, I like my, my, uh, my little life here and, and, uh, you know, I keep myself busy constantly, you know, whether it's in my yard or doing something with the kids. And, and uh, you know, it's something that the kids can enjoy along with myself. You know, we so, got a two-acre pond. We go fishing every day, you know, in the summer and stuff. So it's, it's beautiful. 
so so that was the long answer the the correct answer would have been why you moved because my wife said to and that was it done <laughs> well no, my, my my wife said if my parents could come live with me and as you can see there's their house 70 yards away <clears throat> you're, so, you're, uh, actually, you're a smart man doug to not only uh accommodate your wife but her family that that uh that's a pretty shrewd maneuver yeah well, i know yeah. she's not going to go anywhere she can't run home right <laughs> exactly <laughs> a short trip to see your parents she can't run too far i can catch her she's only 70 yards away we're going to talk a little bit about the Doug Davis Foundation. That's why Harris is hanging around. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Nellie. But before we do that, I always like to find out how in the world uh, you got the bug to play baseball and, uh, and succeed for such a long period of time. That's the serious question on the lighter side of baseball. Yeah. The serious answer, the serious answer is really, really long. Good. We've got 30, <laughs> 40 minutes. Go for it. Uh, I never really thought I was ever going to play baseball, uh, personally. I, I just never, never thought it was going to be, uh, you know, something that, you know, that would, that would secure my, secure my family's uh, financial and, and put me where I am today to where I can retire at 38 years old. Um, you know, some, <clears throat> you know, sometime when I was 16 or 17 after getting kicked off the team because of grades uh, in high school, um, you know, I, I got kicked off the team and the very next day, my coach told me to come throw for a scout that he knew from, uh, from the Phillies. And then, um, so I came over, he brought a catcher. I threw about eight or 10 pitches. Um, and probably out of those eight or 10 pitches, six of them hit the backstop. Um, but I, but I had a, le I was lefty and I had a good arm back then, you know, throwing 86 to 88 from the left side was, uh, definitely draftable. So. I ended up getting drafted as a drafted follow and they followed me right down the tubes in my first year of junior college in California, uh, San Francisco city college or not San Francisco, excuse me, it was DVC, Diablo Valley college, uh, hang out with the wrong people, got in trouble. Lucky I didn't go into, in a jail or even prison. I don't know. Could have, could have been, could have gone the other way really quick. Um, but, uh, ended up dropping out of, of a DVC, and got kicked off the baseball team again because I didn't go to school. Uh, school was not my friend at that time. Uh, then I uh, moved up to Reno, Nevada, and that's where my dad lived. And that's safe. <laughs> that's a safe haven, right? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, yeah. So then, yeah, yeah, right. Well, I was always scared of my dad because he's you know 350 pounds and and uh, and uh, just mean it seemed like you know growing up. So anyway, I went up there and kind of straightened my life out. And um, <clears throat> worked 60 hours a week, and then my dad picked up a newspaper. This is, you know, when dial-up, uh, you know, dial-up uh, internet was available, but uh, no, there's still newspapers coming out the door. So he uh, looked up there and said that there was a there was a tryout for the Reno Diamonds, which was like an independent ball team, um, which what, they, what, can, they do pay. Go ahead. What year is this, Doug? Oh man, now you're talking years. Uh, let's see. So 96, 95, 95. Okay. So 95, 96, I was drafted. So yeah, 95. <clears throat> and so, um, you know, I, uh, went to the tryouts and Shake Cooper, the manager at the time, I threw like four pitches and he's like, what the hell are you doing here? You know, how old are you? You know, and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm 19, you know, I lost a year of eligibility last year and da -da -da. I told him the whole story. 
he's like, well, I'd love to have you come pitch, you know, for, for me this summer. And I was like, okay, great. Awesome. He's like, but I go, there's a problem. Cause uh, you know, I, I work six days a week. I get every Tuesdays off. And he looked at me like, what? Well, every Tuesday, he goes, every Tuesday is a home game. You come start for me every Tuesday. So I didn't go to any practices, didn't go, I didn't shag balls or anything, no BP, nothing like that. And I just showed up every Tuesday and went out there and pitched against some ex-major league baseball players who were in there. You know, you know, I don't know if you know who Bobby Aralt was, baby. Bobby Aralt, he was on our team. He was a pitcher. And then Tommy Mitchell, yeah. Kevin Mitchell's brother, he was there. He played a little bit of minor league ball. And then we had a couple other guys on our team, but so I just went there, I put up like a one nine six you know era for the year i really did really well for him and i just showed like i said every seventh day i just showed up every tuesday and pitch it was great and i worked swing shift every other day you know for uh sherwin williams i threw paint uh, <laughs> i threw paint on pallets you know and i was actually making you know for a 19 year old i was making 14 15 an hour you know which is you know pretty good yeah and uh but I, but the problem was I was making that fourteen fifty and the and the, the casinos were taking like sixteen or seventeen bucks an hour off me so it didn't work. <laughs> that gets to Harris's point about Reno, a good place to settle down. Exactly. And exactly. So I traded one for the other pretty much when it came to financial stuff. So I was still broke and lived with my dad in the basement. <laughs> what, what was and, the uh, what were they paying you for one one game a week of pitching? I could they well because um, I wanted to keep my eligibility to go back to college. Like they didn't pay me anything, but we had Tommy Mitchell making, you know, five grand because he was Kevin Mitchell's brother. He was making five grand a month, you know? So wow. he, they were paying, they just weren't paying me, you know? And, and it worked out good for, for the manager too, because he didn't have to worry about, you know, you know, paying me any money on, you know, in his uh, budget. So anyway, after that, <clears throat> um, I, we went down, I took a weekend off and went down to Sacramento and played a round Robin down there with Sacramento Steels and the San Francisco. There was a San Francisco team, and anyway, there was a bunch of independent ball teams down there, and that's when um, San Francisco City College saw me. And Rob Wilson, my uh, my uh, coach, uh, San Francisco City College, came up to me and said, "I want you to come down and play." And I was like, "Well, I'm going to need a job." Okay, I'll get you a job. I'm going to need a place to live too. Oh, I'll get you a place to live too. And I'm going to need 32 units to to pass uh, to make to be able to play next year. Oh, in one semester? And I said, yes, one semester. So he signed me up for 40 just to make sure in case I failed any that I'd still be backed up with the 32. You know, I'm talking anywhere between intermediate racquetball to advanced racquetball to same thing, you know, in basketball, swimming and everything else, a bunch of elective things yeah. that really there aren't transferable. But, you know, I took my three or four classes that I had to have uh, to be a full-time student. Right. So I went down there. I'm surprised that you had all this school trouble because, I mean, I guess it was more for the for all the millions of people listening. I can vouch it was more for the his lack of desire. I'm guessing to go to class than his brain because he's probably the smartest ball player I know, and I know a ton of guys. But you know, you're always talking business. You're always doing other stuff, and uh, so I'm, I was kind of surprised. I didn't know that about you. I think that I think a lot of this is more common sense when you're talking about being smart. Uh, I've been common sense, but book smart, not so much. I don't remember much. I don't remember much. I remember everything from experiences. You know, you seem to remember when I owe you like five bucks. You never forget that. No, I don't. And I, and I get that from you, probably. It's contagious. So, 
uh, well, anyway, make a long story short, I went to San Francisco City College and he got me past all the things I needed to go to, to get, get through to, you know, um, and then I got drafted <laughs> in the 10th round and knocked up my girlfriend at the time, my ex-wife, and she moved to Florida with me and I had a kid making 800 bucks a month and less than, I think, 8,500 bucks a year, 8,600 bucks a year uh, playing baseball for the next uh, three years with, a, with two kids now. So for my grand, for my for my thirteen-year-old granddaughter that listens, you uh, you ended up having a a child early in your life. Very early, yes. I was I was I was nineteen when she was pregnant. Turned twenty uh, when she was she was a uh, you know I can't blame it on it. I was too drunk. So <laughs> <laughs> I love all my kids. It's all you know, and and uh, everything worked out for the best. You know, I had a seventeen-year uh, Pro ball career and ten in the big leagues. So, looking forward to getting that pension this year. Hey, that's true. Yeah, the, uh, did you have to have like what was it? Ten years to get a full pension, right? Yeah. So the ten year story is uh, it's kind of funny. Um, when I got injured with the Brewers in my second stint over there, <clears throat> I had nine years and uh, thirty eight day or nine years hundred or nine years. Yeah, I think I had nine years, 100 days, about 96 days. So I needed about 60 days to get my tenure. And so, um, you know, I called I called Greg and be like, Greg, I need a job. I, I got to get me a job. I'm healthy now. So he calls uh, – did you call Jim Hendricks or you called your connection? Bobby, you know, Bobby D. It was Bobby D. Bobby D. That's right. So he called Bobby, Bobby D. And he said, hey, you know, uh, you know, like Doug Davis needs a job, you know, and da, da, da. Sure enough, I got a call. I got a couple scouts come and look at me, throw a bullpen for him, and I get a call from Jim Hendry, and he uh, ends up signing me to, you know, a minor league deal or whatever. And I was up in the big leagues about a month later, and even Greg even picked my number, you know, behind my back. And he, got, he, got my only, he got my only win with the Cubs, the ball, the ball. He got the game ball for my only win with the Cubs, my last win in the major leagues. Um, so I owe a lot, uh, a lot to Greg for, wow, I, did, I, I didn't ask that to get the story, but that's awesome. But what happened was the Cubs I'm driving into work and the Cubs have two pitchers, starting pitchers go on the DL same day, right when Doug's about done rehabbing. And then I was like, Doug, are you ready? Cause we need somebody over here. And, uh, we probably, sh- I probably should have called someone else. Cause I think Doug was one and seven or something. With the Cubs. Yeah. <laughs> but it was his fault. It was bad defense. You got to win. <laughs> no, we're the defense. Well, as a, I probably had defense season, was good. I probably had season tickets then, and I was, I'm sure I was pulling for you. And as I said with this podcast, it does. It seems like everybody in the world I have, there's some connection. Like I'm playing golf with Bobby D on Thursday. He did a podcast a couple of weeks ago, and uh, and um, that's funny that Harris would uh, again use that St. Croix connection to score a spot on the, on the Cubs team. And, uh, you know, yesterday Harris and I talked about Harris is, is kind of bought into the name of this podcast is on the lighter side and I'm not very light or funny, but Harris keeps my spirit up by trying to come up with something funny. And he talked about how, uh, you know, Chantel delivered while you were on the mound at Wrigley field or close to it. How'd that work? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember, um, I got called up and I was actually pitching against the, the Giants <clears throat> and, um, that was when Vogelsong just, uh, I started going off that year and he came over and pitched, I think seven innings in the rain 
and it went seven innings and it got canceled. It ended, uh, it, I don't think, I don't know if we got nine in or not, but I went seven innings and he went like seven and a third, end up beating me. We lost, uh, I think, two to one or something like that on 200 runs. Uh, it was like I said, it was raining the whole day, it was misting or whatever. So there was a couple throwing errors, but you know, uh, it happens, yeah. And then, uh, and then it got called, and sure enough. Right after the game, I eyes talked to the press and did all that stuff. And all of a sudden, I look at my phone. I got about you know six you know calls, missed calls, and text messages. I think my water broke. I think my water broke. But because it was raining in the stands the whole time, she thought maybe she just sat and got wet, you know, <laughs> sat in the wet seat or whatever. So she really didn't know. And then all of a sudden, she's in the cab. Who says he's not much cab- smart? <laughs> And all of a sudden, you know, she gets in the cab, and that's when I—that's when you know the messages started coming. I my water broke. Got to go to the hospital, Northwestern. And then uh, I don't know, but about six, seven hours later, I had a you know my my baby girl. So you were—that was like your first start in Chicago, your first day or two or something yeah, like that. Right. Yeah. So I they didn't. Day, and then the, the team was leaving actually that night to go on the on a road trip, and I actually uh, had a. I think I met up with them and uh, I think they were going to the Marlins maybe and I ended up having to fly out two or three days later uh, to get ready for my start my next start against the Marlins or maybe maybe it was my next start uh, wherever whenever it was you know you get ready throw bullpen and all that kind of stuff so then I flew out two days later and we flew her sister in to help nanny and help take care of the kid while she recovered and, and uh, you know the rest is history and I have five kids, and all sing, every single kid is, is born in a different state. Wow. That's a good trivia question. Yeah. He's got six other kids in various states, but he just doesn't talk about where they were the born. <laughs> Who was the manager when you were with the Cubs? That was um, Quaddy, Quaddy or Quaid. Quaddy. Oh, Quaddy. <laughs> It was the intern. It was the intern days. He was he was an intern at the time, I think, and uh, I don't think he lasted much longer than me. So I, I'm just gonna say, if you don't want to get cut, you should probably know how to pronounce your manager's name. Yeah. Now, do you have a? You know, we we brought in another one of Harris's uh, buddies, Scotty Air, and he had a squirrel story, uh, a pumpkin story that turned into a squirrel story. I'm hoping you don't oh, yeah. have. Do you have a pumpkin story too? Was that? Something Harris got everybody to do. No, he, yeah, he, I don't. I don't remember. What, he, I don't remember what interview it was. But Greg, yes, definitely. He, he's like, you better say pumpkin. You better say pumpkin. I guess he did it with Scott Air too. And, yeah, and, so um, I don't want to blow your cover, Harris. So Scotty, you know, he he's doing the interview, and then they they ask him a question like, you know, uh, you know, hey, so what are you doing on the off season? And then he brings it up. You know, he says, well, you know, I'm driving around with my kids right now trying to get a, a pumpkin. And, you know, he did it the way you're supposed to do it. Now, now, Doug, I'm listening to this interview. It's like going on and on and on, 15, 20 minutes, you know, nothing. There's no pumpkin, nothing. And then, the, you know, it was on the score or whatever, and they say, okay, you know, thanks a lot to Doug Davis. Uh, we really appreciate it. He goes, no problem, guys, pumpkin. <laughs> like right at the end of the interview. <laughs> And, no. and, I said, no problem, pumpkin. And then that's, that's what I yeah, the guy looks at you like, hey, don't call me pumpkin. Could you come up with a, like a different object for a different picture? Well, I, I tried to get Bobby D to do some other, uh, I, I forgot what it was, something on the seventh inning stretch in Chicago, and he wouldn't do it. He's like, nah, I'm not doing that. So <laughs> no fun. 
smart, no smart one out of us. Smart yeah. Well, talk about Milwaukee a little bit because you had pretty good success in Milwaukee from a uh, you know standpoint of wins and losses. How'd you end up in Milwaukee, and uh, what was Nelly doing in Milwaukee when when was he a coach or? broadcast on them um he was a coach and then broadcasted the next year he was my coach for my first year there our first base coach and uh <clears throat> i was with us um, i came up and dra was drafted with uh texas rangers and i played with them until 2003 and when the new regime came over there with john hart and i was when oral hershiser was my uh my pitching coach and and um and so that guy kind of got uh i kind of got you know put to the side there and and uh, they brought their own guys in. Ryan Dries actually took my spot from Cleveland. And um, uh, and so then John Rocker came over. I got to play with John Rocker for a year. That was a – Yeah, that's cool. That was, that was something. And then um, and then uh, when they released me, uh, I got I got picked up by uh, the Blue Jays. They had to put me in the big leagues because I um, – what do they call it? Uh, rule five. Yeah, rule five. Thank you. They rule five me. They put me in the big leagues, and I started there for about seven games. They tried to send me down. And I was 24 years old, and they tried to send me down to become a – and drop down and become a, like a like sidearm against lefty situational guy. And and uh, I opted out because I felt like uh, you know, starting was my, my forte, and I liked having the four days off. And you know, it was the best job in the world. So uh, I took a $400,000 pay cut to, to go over to Milwaukee in the minor leagues. and. Uh, just a minor league contract, and I ended up only spending about a month and a half, two months in AAA Indianapolis there with the Milwaukee Brewers. And, uh, uh, you know, I had it in there because Doug Melvin, the the GM at the time, he was a G, he was my GM in uh, Arizona, in uh, Texas. So um, uh, I called – I had my agent call him up and, you know, get me a job over there. And not – but a month and a half, two months later, they called me up, and um, I got to work with uh, Greg Maddox. Let me let me jump back a little bit. Mike before. Maddox, Not right? Greg Maddox. Mike Maddox, yeah, Greg's yeah. brother. But let me jump back when I was with uh, the Blue Jays when I I played with Doc um, Holiday and and um, uh, I had a problem mentally trying to deal with failure in the big leagues and I always pitched scared and I pitched like I uh, like I always had something to lose, like I was gonna lose my family if I fucked up or whatever. But um, uh, he ended up giving me the number to a a, um, a a psychologist, a baseball psych, a sports psychologist. Um, and uh, he ended up calling me and talked to me for about 30 minutes and pretty much put things in perspective for me. And then that's when I got released and went over to Milwaukee. Well, I took everything I learned from that guy and started working with Milwaukee and stopped giving a crap what happens when I'm out there and just try to go out there and go pitch the pitch and not worry about any anything that's going to happen afterwards because I know you know he's pretty much saying what's the worst thing that can ever happen to you well you know I live my kids you know and stuff like that is that, is that going to happen when one pitch is that going to happen on a loss is that going to happen if you don't play baseball ever again well no well that kind of put everything in kind of perspective of how uh, baseball is not really everything in life so anyway so Doc Holliday he was he was one of the guys that you know really you know, kind of put, you know, help me out in that aspect. Um, and so when I went over to Milwaukee, I kind of took the same, uh, same mental approach. And then all of a sudden I started working with Mike Maddox and he really uh, uh, simplified my mechanics. I was kind of uh, 
you know, dangling, whipping arms and asses and throwing asses and elbows everywhere is what they call it. And he kind of calmed me down a little bit uh, to where I could throw the ball where I wanted to throw with any pitch. And that's kind of where my, that's kind of where everything kind of took off from there. You know, I started keeping the, the, the ball, the ball club in, in every game and just dominating the Cubs every time I went out there. And, and, uh, that's all they and, care about in Milwaukee. That's yeah, totally all they care about. But I remember the, the time you dominated them and in opening day in Wrigley when you were out at the bars with me by the fourth inning of your start. <laughs> that, that yeah, was that was opening. That, that was opening day. Yeah. Yep. Well, I, I mean, I missed you, Greg. I need to come out. There. I need to catch up. <laughs> like he's in the bar. The game's still being played. That's how much he dominated. He missed the grand slam walk off by Ramirez. I don't know if it was that day or not. Was Maddox the best pitching coach you had? Um, in the big leagues, yes. Yes, yeah. for sure. By far, he, um, he really did help me out a lot. I mean, just he really just simplified everything for me. You know, he, you know and we have the BATS program, which uh, kind of uh, put everything into perspective of how to pitch everybody. Right. So if I looked up, you know, if I looked up Aramis Ramirez, you know, if I looked him up and saw what he was weak on, let's say he was weak on curveballs, well, Guess what? He's going to see a bunch of fucking curveballs from me, you know, and right. and uh, you can't hit it down and away, you know, or if you can't, whatever it is. And, um, you know, I think uh, Maddox really opened my eyes to that and gave me the confidence to be able to throw whatever pitch I wanted to as long as I was able to put it where I wanted to put it. And, you know, and that kind of set everything up, you know, the next three years I worked with him and and, uh, you know, baseball just got easier for me, you know, and that's when paydays came and. Uh, they ended up getting, you know, trading me for Johnny Estrada because uh, they were in catching need. And I went over to, you know, I got traded over to uh, the Diamondbacks and got a three-year deal with them and then came back to Milwaukee because I did have, you know, I did have good success with them and I did like the fan base there. And uh, my wife is, you know, from three hours, about three hours away from there in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And, and uh, so she would have a lot of friends that, you know, and family that would come and, uh, spend time and then I got hurt and once I got hurt they didn't give me the second they didn't pick up my option and um, that's when you know a year later I got with the Cubs and got you know my last stint in the big leagues so, so when did you start going to St. Croix because I think uh, when I met you it might have been 2008 or thereabouts when uh, without getting onto the heavier side of baseball we each had uh, our run-ins with cancer um, yeah. Was that the first year you went to St. Croix with the Belmont? I, I believe so. I, two thousand. God, that seems late for me. Is that right, Greg? I don't. I don't. I, I remember. We did, the, we did the golf outing in '08, so you probably went in '07 or '06, probably. '06, I think. Probably that was my last year with uh, Milwaukee. I was still with Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even even five. Is yeah. that where you I, guys? There, I was. Uh, yeah, right, because I bought my house in 06, and I met you right before that, so it's probably 05. Yeah. 05, yeah, I think that was 05. Um, yeah, but anyway, that's when uh, you know, I got to spend some real time with Davey, and, and what a great guy, and I did, you know, just a lot of stories from him, and, you know, just a just an awesome dude. He's missed every day. Chantel was, you know, a big fan of his as well. He was one of the reasons why me and Chantel ended up getting married and and, uh, you know, staying together for, a, a, you know, the, as long as we have. 
Yeah. I, I, brought, her, I brought her down there as a girlfriend and then it felt like I was bringing back a wife. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, is she standing right there listening? Uh, Nelly, no, she went to, uh, Chantel was here for a minute. Yeah, Nelly was, was Nelly was long on advice, man. He'd love to, uh, he loved to pontificate about everybody but himself. It was pretty good. And yeah, he's a genuine uh, nice man. Just, just a nice dude. Yeah, I've told people. Never a foul that. mouth came out of that guy. <laughs> Never came out of that guy. Ever. Yeah. My, my kids, you know, I always tell people that between uh, seeing Dave Nelson or Santa Claus, they'd go with Nelly every time. Yeah. And I think that. Uh, you know, he had about 600 God kids and, uh, you know, he, he would meet somebody, uh, and they were his best friend for the rest of the life. I mean, it was, he had an amazing, he had an amazing effect on everybody, but the, uh, the St. Croix was fun for guys like me cause you were there for a week and, right. uh, you know, the only thing we had to put up with was Greg, his buddy, Great. Mark, and whoever else was in the car after you guys have been out all night drinking while Kay and I were minding our own business at the hotel. Yeah, blaming the pro athlete for their farts in the back. Yeah, it was regular. <laughs> That's the only memory Kay has other than winning the uh, – he won the longest drive contest. And uh, I think Kay's hair is still curled from that day, Doug. <laughs> yeah. I mean – Well, Harris had the shortest drive. It went backwards. I don't know if, I don't know if you guys know that. Well, and and the last that, hole too. That so, some of his innovations at your golf tournament for the Doug Davis Foundation, where you uh, would, I don't know, hit with a curling iron or a curling stick or a baseball bat or who came up with those ideas, not Harris. We, we were drinking one night and thinking about how we wanted to make our tournament a little That's different a than your standard tournament. Yeah, shocker. We were drinking, had yeah. a couple. But, uh, I, I come remember, up with all the great ideas. Yeah. <laughs> I remember in St. Croix, we, so we're in the, the foursome, and Doug's in our foursome, and you got, it's a scramble, and you got to use everybody's shot, everybody's drive at least twice. So I'm not the best golfer, also known as a golfer that sucks, I guess. But we get to about the 13th hole. We've only used my drive once. And I hit a pretty good drive, you know, straight, right down the middle of the fairway. But I, I could hit it right on the screws, and Doug's going to blow by me by about 100 yards every time. So 150. 150. <laughs> I go with Doug on that one. At least so they say, they say, hey, let's use Greg's drive. You know, it's 13th hole. We got to get that second drive out of the way. And I'm like, no, no, don't worry about it, guys. I got this. You know, let's use Doug's. He's way up there. So we use Doug's. And then after that hole, I just, I start shanking the drives. And we get to the 14th, 15th, 16th. We get to the 18th hole. They haven't used my drives. These three guys, Doug, Mark, and, and Costanza, are just sitting in the golf cart, smoking cigars, mm -hmm. watching me tee off, yeah. my knees shaking. <laughs> but uh, so we use my drive, 18th hole. There you go. Yeah. Well, just, just so you know, it was driver, driver off, off the tee. You know? <laughs> <laughs> say, that left another 400 yards to the range. Oh, my God. Well, and then the, uh, the golf tournaments that, uh, Harris put on for your foundation, Doug. I hate to I hate to say anything nice to Harris, but those were great, great events that I was able to attend. They were fun, and going over to your house was fun. And uh, I know that uh, that foundation uh, was able to uh, do some good things, even with Greg Harris. <laughs> if you didn't have me on this show, is this a show? I don't even know what you call it. But if you didn't have me on this, oh, whatever you want. 
you have nobody to to beat up on. No, I'm not going to beat up on Doug. Doug's a good guy. He's a, you know, he's he pitched. You know, he did everything you and I wanted to do, and uh, and never could. He could even hit in the major leagues. Yeah, I, was, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> there are guys. I wouldn't say hit. There are guys. I got my button pitch. down finally. There, there are guys with a lot less uh, uh, hits that played for a long time than, than than you. I mean, you were up over a hundred. That's pretty good. No, no way. So, so Doug, and he'll admit it, not, not the best. Hitting, yeah, yeah. I not, suck. not the best hitting pitcher in the, in the league. In fact, you know, maybe on the other end. So he starts the season and for some reason he hits a duck snort or whatever. And another one, he's two for three to start the season. So he comes up to bat the next time and I'm watching this on TV and it says, you know, Doug Davis, 667. So I pause it, I take a picture of it, I frame it up for him, it to send it up to him. It's on his refrigerator for like four years. You know? I still have it. It's not up, though. <laughs> it's right behind the Greg Harris ball. That you uh, <laughs> but he, he was in yeah, 667. Yeah, so I wouldn't call it a hitter because uh, I think it was, it was probably our last three games uh, when I was with Arizona. And uh, I was going against Colorado Rockies, Ubaldo Jimenez, throwing 98, sitting at 98, hitting a 101. And I get up to bat, and the the uh, the commentator, I think, was, I, don't, I think it was an ESPN game, and um, the commentator literally said, you know, now to bat, hitting 042, and <laughs> the worst hitter ever in baseball. Average-wise, at 028 in his career, the worst <laughs> ever hitter to be at, at, at that right now. And the very next pitch, I had a double. <laughs> Over Julian Tavares, not Julian Tavares, Tavares' head in center field. And I hit a double over that there. Was, and I didn't mean, obviously, I didn't know he said it. But then uh, my dad called me up and, hey, yeah, that guy, you know who that is? That was terrible. He was doing that. But then you got a double. It was great. And I, I looked it back up, and I was like, he did say I was the worst hitter. And I looked it up. Nobody else is hitting 028. <laughs> with that many plate appearances. Yeah, my first year with Milwaukee, I, w- I hit, I think, 040, 048. I was one for, one for 42 with uh, – no, one for 48 with 42 punchies. 42 punchies. <laughs> well, that's, that's, hey, you got there. And, and I couldn't get my buns down, and I still had 200 innings. That's where the funny part was. I still oh. had 200 innings because usually when you can't hit or you can't even bunt, they pull you out in that fifth inning, that fourth inning, you know, or fifth or sixth inning. You know, you can't go deep into the games. But I was still able to, you know, get get the 200 innings in and get my 35 starts. In. Hey, 200 oh. innings is kind of a thing of the past. Nobody, think, does, very I, few guys do that anymore. I told Jamie to look this up, but I think you have an MLB record for three consecutive years with a more than 10 wins and a 500 record each of the three years, like 12 and 12, 13 and 13, or whatever. Is that true? I, I got muted. There. Chantel was calling on your line. What's up? I'm saying yeah. again. <laughs> trying to validate your career record in Milwaukee by claiming that you had a 500 record three years in a row. 
I'm not sure the record. With over 10 win, with over 10 wins, I think it's a major league I record. I don't think that's a record. Capuano had that. <clears throat> exactly yeah. 500, like 15 and 15, uh-huh. and the next year oh, 13 no, and 15. It wasn't 500. Uh-uh. Well, you know, two out of those three years, I was I had double digit wins before All Star break, and I ended up I was like 10 and three at All Star break, and then all of a sudden. After, you know, at the end of the year, I was 13 and 14, you know, with, you know, with like 10 or seven or eight, you know, undecided, you know, that was, it was a stint there where. All right. I'm, I'm going to baseball reference. Please, you were 38, yeah, yeah. And 40, he was 38 and 40 with the Brewers. Go to baseball reference. Here, 2004, 12 and 12, 2005, 11, 11, 2006, 11 and 11. So three years in a row of 500. And then the next three were 13 and 12. Okay. Yeah, I got over the 500 mark. That's why you got the. <laughs> that's why you got 20 acres in Bend, Oregon, buddy. Nice going. Yeah, that's right. Right. That's pretty good. And uh, well, you know, you know, Greg, I did have um, the most strikeouts for a lefty in Brewers' career. Really? No way. Career? Yeah, for for a lefty, yeah. Wow. P- pitching. Lefty. Well, what about pitching? I, uh, ended up, yeah. yeah, pitching, pitching and hitting, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, both of them. I knew where you. I knew. No, I, saw, I think, uh, I think I Teddy. Is it Huguera? Teddy Huguera. I think that's his name. Yeah. He was the lefty that had the most strikeouts, and I've surpassed him uh, uh, when I came back the second. So time. your big, your big whine about stats was when you and Cappy, Chris Capuano, used to have kind of a gentleman's bet or whatever about pickoffs. And when you're a lefty and you you pick a guy off, but he breaks for second, that's a caught stealing. Yeah. Right. So you didn't get credit for half those, and you're still up there in the league I still leaders. Had 13. I had 12 or 13 pickoffs still. And yeah. I, still had three, I still had another six or seven that, you know, that were caught stealing. How uh, many of those were box? All of them. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. That's great. Are you following any of the, uh, uh, the major league proposals about trying to get baseball back with no fans? You know, I, I'm not, but my, uh, my neighbor – is uh, is Kyle Hishioka. He is uh, the backup catcher for the Yankees right now, right behind uh, Sanchez there, yeah. uh, Gabby Sanchez. So he's over here and he's out hitting every day on their pro- – he's got they got 20 acres next to me. It's actually his father-in-law, but they're living with them right now while they're building a house out here in Bend. And so um, <clears throat> he, uh, he comes out here and hits. And I was talking to him, and they were saying maybe, uh, you know, pretty soon here they're going to go start at least practicing as a team and hopefully get something started. There's been a lot of things kicking around, uh, according to him, you know, having the season in Arizona and then maybe Arizona, Texas and, and Florida, and then, you know, wearing masks and, you know, all that other kind of stuff and with no yeah. fans, you know, just, just stuff like that. I, I really haven't followed it much though since then. You got a lot of sprinklers to change. But I, I think you're more productive than where major league baseball's going. They're trying to, you know, the, the Players Association is griping about the proposal they're wanting. You know, it's going to be the typical uh, dispute, and they don't have that much time. I'm frankly, if the fans can't go, I'd rather see them wait till next year. But I'm in the I'm in the minority. In the meantime, you know, they'll argue for a couple of weeks and figure out how to split the Fox TV money and go down the road. But uh, right, I think that's I think it's going to happen. I think they'll what? have a plan. What would happen if they put together some, you know, makeshift schedule and you're playing different teams? 
what would happen to all the, the statistics that everybody is all in baseball? Right. You know, it's going to mess up history. It, it asterisks them, right? Well, yeah. Like strike year. You know, they have the strike year. And, right. And those records counted. them. Selig canceled the World Series. I don't know. I, I myself had a batting practice experience this coming weekend at Wrigley Field. And they sent me a note saying, due to the COVID-19 outbreak, we're going to have to cancel you know, your batting practice experience since the baseball season's over. And I go, why? This is perfect with nobody out there. Give me a picture <laughs> of the game. And uh, in the Wrigley. Yeah, it didn't work. <laughs> as persuasive as I can be. Anyway, All right. Harris, you got any more funny stories before we let Doug get back to a fix and sprinklers and go to the dump? All right, I'll, I'll ask uh, a question. So you're, you're pitching on the – I'm trying to set you up for an easy one. You're pitching for the Rangers – and you got Pudge Rodriguez as catcher. It's man on first, 0 and 2 count. What's he calling? Fastball. Why? So he can throw the guy out. <laughs> so 0 2 count, you're looking for one in the dirt, a curveball, whatever. Pudge just wants to throw out a guy. That's why I well, how, you know. How about how about my first outing, Greg? That's the one you'd love to rub in my face all the time. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So man, I come in, I, I get called up. Um, shoot, I get called up because Mike Munoz, our left-handed situational guy, ends up uh, dropping a computer screen on his foot uh, right before the playoffs, and so they need a guy for four or five days. So I get up there in, uh, with Texas, and um, uh, I come in. Well, it's already I think seven nothing. Or seven nothing in in the in the second inning, I think. Second inning, and they put Danny Patterson in. He gives up two guys. He he gives up. He puts two guys on. Johnny Oates went out there and and pulled him. And then you know I'm I'm out there warming up. Pulled him. Put me in. Man on first and second. Uh, first pitch fastball, of course, because Pudge, you know. And then he calls a curveball, and I throw a curveball. So now it's one and one. And then my third pitch in the big leagues was a three-run home run by Sean Green. Of course, he's on the juke rent. Yeah. Jewish. I know. I knew that's where – as soon as you said that, I knew where Harris was going to go. Yeah. So, you know, so he hit a three-run home run off me that, that pretty much almost went out of the stadium in, in Arlington. And, uh, and uh, you know, that was how my career started. And I ended up giving up uh, 12 runs that day. Ten were mine and two in the third innings. And I threw – 78 pitches in two and a third innings. And, and then um, and then I got sent down that night saying we need, we need fresh arms. <laughs> <laughs> so so if you give up 12 runs in a game, do you really worry about clarifying it and saying only 10 were mine? <laughs> well, I mean, oh, oh okay. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. Only 10 were yours. <laughs> yeah, it did help my ERA, you know. <laughs> What was, what was your ERA after one game? You had to run. Uh, I forgot. I think it was like nine ninety nine or something like that. You know, it was uh, yeah, or ninety. I think it was ninety nine point nine or something. Something like that was my ERA. And I tell my ear. I tell my. I tell my. Well, no. And then I got called up one more time right before that and pitched against Mo Vaughn. One guy, Mo Vaughn. He, he flew out to left field. And my ERA went half. Harris is going to look up your. ERA. I am. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, you see it. You know, instead of Harris on the ERA, you could have used Doc Holliday to give you the reference to the uh, baseball shrink. That would have helped. 
And for your yeah. flip side, for your 19, flip, 1999, he pitched two games and 2.2 innings pitched, 12 hits, 10 runs, 10 earned, three homers, <laughs> and an ERA of 33.75. Yeah. So, Doug, oh, ask, ask, ask us what his best ERA was in the major leagues. Hey, you look up you look up Greg Harris in the majors. You'll see three of us. Yeah. <laughs> None of them look like you. And for, for everybody out there, uh, as I've said before on this show, Greg Harris is very charitable and philanthropic, and the reference to Sean Green was in regards to a Jews in baseball project that Harris – uh, put together, I think, in partial benefit to the Doug, Doug Davis Foundation. If I'm not, uh, you know, maybe chronologically, that's that's where we were. And and so Sean Green, Sandy Koufax, Jerry Reinsdorf, and other famous, prominent Jewish members of the baseball fraternity were featured on this. The, and Doug gave nice reference to that. And uh, I knew as soon as as soon as you said Sean Green, I you know I knew where this baby was. Uh, Oh yeah, that was the first thing he said. It's one of the funny first things he said when he met me. You know, it's it like, it's like, you know, a Jewish guy hit first home run off you. <laughs> so, if you look real closely at the at the Jews in Baseball artwork, which is for sale, JewishHeritageCollections.com. Uh, <laughs> anyway, if you look real closely at that, you'll notice it's all these great Jewish players, and then there's in the stands, there's some famous. Uh, old-time Jewish players and Larry King, great baseball Jewish fan, and Rob Reiner. And then there's a beer vendor, and the beer vendor is Doug Davis. I put him in there as a beer vendor. <laughs> so he's the only non-Jew in the piece. No, I got yeah, it. Well, actually, uh, it says uh, on, my little, on my little tray, it actually said matzo balls. So <laughs> it was dealing more than just beer. And I was also ser- I'm also serving beer to a minor. Yeah, one of your son's best friends, I think. Yeah, right? I did. I did that too. I wanted to show your your ethical side as well. <laughs> okay, give give the website one more time so everybody can go see Doug selling. Oh, oh, there you go for the millions out there. Jewishcollections.com. Jewish collections. And, and we're ask. looking forward to that Jews and Rock here pretty soon too. There that's you go, Jews and Rock. A, that's a good plug for Harris. All right, guys. Yeah, we're sponsored, sponsored by Adam Sandler. It wasn't worth the three-hour conversation. <laughs> At least it feels like three hours. We're going to table this Yiddish discussion and head on down the road. Doug, good to see you. Better to good see you, can't tell. I'm glad you're uh, hanging in there out in Bend, Oregon, on your 20 acres. Oh, yeah. I'd love you. Harris, I can't wait till we do another one of these in a week. You're the best. Peace out. All right, boys. Thanks. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye.